It was the fourth quarter of a high school football game in St. Clairsville, Ohio. Uh, star running back, Michael Fern, 6'3", 235, got the ball, raced down the left sideline with such an explosion of energy and power that he far outdistanced even the referees. So when, when Fern stepped out intentionally at the one-yard line, the referees were so far back, they just assumed he had crossed the goal line, and so they signaled touchdown. Ferns immediately ran to the referee, got in his face and said, no touchdown, no touchdown. The, the head coach of St. Clairsville ran out on the field as well, looking at the, the referee saying, no touchdown, no touchdown. That ball goes on the one yard line. Now, if you're the referee, you're going, wait a second. This is a little confusing. The referees got together. They conferred. Yes, sure enough, he did. He stepped out at the one yard line. Not sure why. So at that moment, they placed the ball at the one-yard line. St. Clairsville lined up, and in that moment, they called in Logan Thompson. Logan was a freshman, hadn't played one down the entire year on varsity. Uh, but in that moment, it was a special moment for the team. See, earlier in that week, Logan's father had unexpectedly died from a stroke at the early age of 44. And so in that moment, they lined up, they took the snap, they handed the ball to Logan. They opened up a hole, and Logan ran the ball in for a touchdown. And the team erupted. They all gathered together. They embraced Logan and just kind of held him in that moment. And it's moments like that where you see the selflessness of high school kids, of all, all people, and you say something like, that, that's just how it's supposed to be. That just seems like how it's supposed to be in the world. Uh, but I think you and I realize that's just not how it is, is it? I mean, that's not even how it is with us. We, we could be honest enough to say that there are th at times when we're at work and we're working on a group project and the boss kind of ends and says, wow, this is really impressive. I like this. We, we look for ways that we might want to hint that we had a little extra something to do with the presentation, that the idea was a little bit more my idea than everyone else in the group. Or even as you hear that story, aren't you a little tempted to say, I don't know if I would have wanted my kid to step out at the one. I kind of like the stats getting padded. I want my kid to be the one to score the touchdown. Whatever it is, we want kind of more. We want to be greater. We want to be bigger. We want to build our name, our fame. And it was no different for the first disciples of Jesus either. In fact, many times they struggled, they wrestled with who would be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom when he came into power and in this moment, what I want us to do is that we're going to see as we enter back in, we're in the final home stretch of our epic journey through the story. Uh, we're going to enter into a chapter, chapter 26, where we're going to enter into the final week of Jesus's life. And as we enter into this final week of his life, we're going to see that it is a, it's a week of finalities. It is his final visit to Jerusalem. It's his final visit to the temple. It is his final uh, meal together with his disciples. And ultimately, it is where he will take his final breath. And so if you've been with us, we've been uh, studying over uh, for, for months, really, uh, the, the Bible uh, through what's called the story, this resource where we kind of get a chance to see, uh, trying to learn God's big story through these, these uh, key stories through the scriptures. And today we're going to look at this. And, and this chapter, chapter 26, is called the hour of darkness. And it signifies a couple of things. This word, the hour, when Jesus says, my hour has come, it refer, he's referring to his death. The time has come for his death. But darkness is, is very unique in this chapter. We'll see even as, we, as the chapter pulls in the narratives of the different gospels that this time was both 
uh, physically and, and figuratively dark. It was a dark time. And Jesus, as they came to arrest him in Luke 22, it says this, that he said, uh, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. This time where he will give his life, darkness will have its moment. Uh, darkness will have its moment. But much like the graphic, as you can see, darkness will not be able to hold back the light. And it's a fitting uh, a title for the chapter, as we will see, this is the darkest night of human history when the creation will kill its creator. And Jesus is going to be with his disciples. They're going to be celebrating the Passover together. And through this time of them celebrating the Passover together, we're going to see in two kind of key moments something about why it was that Jesus came. And how it fits into this big story that we've been studying. And as we'll see, uh, this whole week, this whole uh, holy week as Jesus has entered in, the whole story of God is coming together in a very, very powerful way. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you to turn to chapter 26 of the story. Um, You can also turn to John chapter 13. And as we think of the Passover, the the time of the Passover, you got to try to think of Christmas and Thanksgiving and the 4th of July parade all rolled up into one. This is a big deal. Two million people have entered into Jerusalem to celebrate and to remember the way that God delivered them out of slavery. This goes all the way back. This is, this is a celebration that they are experiencing that uh, from the story. It's from chapter 4. They're remembering the time where God delivered them out of slavery. And as they are coming together uh, in this time, again, this ongoing argument has been happening. Who, uh, which of us is going to be the greatest? Which of us is going to have the, the priority? Which of us is going to sit at the right and the left of Jesus? And, and, and the battle and the arguing, it isn't uh, uh, isolated to a few. They're, they're struggling not just with the fact that people are talking about this, but that they're being left out of the consideration of this. It is a very tense moment. So as the disciples are struggling and wrestling over who would be the greatest, Jesus is about to show them what greatness looks like. And here's the first thing I want you to, to write down if you want to take notes with us, is that Jesus came to serve his followers. Jesus came to serve his followers. In fact, in Mark chapter 10, we see that on one of these occasions where they're arguing about this, Jesus helps them understand something. That it's normal. This is the way the world works. You lord it over people. But that's not the way my kingdom works. And if you're going to be a part of my kingdom, then you come to serve, not be served. Because even I did not come to be served, but to serve. And he uses these words, but to give my life as a ransom for many and we'll see how those words play out as we, as we work our way through this night together. John chapter 13, verse 1. Let's notice what's happening as they come together to, to share in this meal together. It says, It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour, his death, had come for him to leave this world, to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now stop there for a second. I want you to try to answer this question in your mind. Don't say it out loud. You'll embarrass yourself. What would you do if all authority, all power was given to you? 
I know for me, I would be tempted to want more. More power, more wealth, more, 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 more. I'm not proud of that. I just know what my t- the temptation of my heart is. What did Jesus do when all authority was given to him? When he knew someone was going to betray him, when he had this power, when he knew he was going back to the Father, how did he respond in that moment? Here's what Jesus did. He put on the uniform of a slave and he began to wash their feet. So he got up from the meal, verse four. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now this moment, in fact, if I were to bring one of you up and begin to wash your feet, it would be really awkward, wouldn't it? It'd be a little embarrassing for you. It'd be for me. It'd be awkward. And all of you would be kind of cringing. That is just kind of a weird thing. Uh, But it is completely necessary in this culture. It is something that was done as an act of hospitality. and, And a Jewish person wasn't even allowed to do it. The lowest Gentile servant or slave was to do it. It it was in essence to show uh, uh, superiority that there was a difference between a master and a servant. And it's completely necessary because you got to remember you have dirt roads, you have people wearing sandals, and when they eat uh, a meal together, they don't sit like we do where you sit in a chair and you pull yourself up to the table. You recline on your arm like this and your feet are kind of going back. And so you've got someone's dirty, nasty feet In your kitchen, okay? And you've got to try to somehow enjoy this meal. But notice what's happened. They've all kind of reclined at the table. They've all taken their place. All their nasty feet are all over around there. Not one of them have moved to make a difference. And so what does it say Jesus says? Jesus is the one who gets up. He takes off his outer garment. He wraps a towel around his waist. And he begins to go up to each of them says that the devil has already prompted Judas to betray him. And he walks up to Judas and he kneels down and he begins to wash Judas' feet. Now, try if you can, try to put yourself as one of the disciples. Try to imagine yourself as one of the 12 and you're there and he's, you're next. And he's about, you know what, you just watched him wash three feet, three people's feet, and now you're next and he's about to come to you. Do you feel a little anxious by this? Not just because of the cultural thing, but the fact that it's Jesus coming to do this. That's how Peter felt. Notice he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. Peter said, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, You have no part with me. Can't you see yourself there? Don't you resonate with Peter in some sense? I I can't let you, I won't let you do this. And Jesus says to Peter, as he says to us, if you don't let me serve you, if you don't let me wash you, you can't go with me. You You can't come where I'm going. Now, in this moment, as Jesus is doing this, he would do much more than wash their feet. There's, a, there's a, a, a second thing that he wants to show them in this meal. 
But during this meal, as he's about to do this, you have to kind of go back a few days. We have to go back. This is Thursday night that they're celebrating this meal. We have to go back to Sunday to understand what he's about to do next. Because as they're sharing this meal together, he's about to turn this meal into a different new celebration. But if we go back to Sunday, which would be today, we call this Palm Sunday. This is the day which Jesus entered into the city. And the Sunday before the Passover, if for those of you who are college basketball fans, this is Selection Sunday. This is the day in which they select the lamb that will be used uh, for the Passover sacrifice. It has to be a spotless lamb. They will bring it through, they'll parade, they'll cheer for it, and they will inspect this lamb for days. And so on the day that they are escorting in the Passover lamb, as they've done uh, time and time, years, they've done this for, for centuries, they've done this, they've, they've uh, celebrated this way. In the same day that the the Passover lamb is coming in, here comes Jesus riding in on a donkey. Now, we've got to kind of see something that's happening. There's something bigger that's happening. It really, it it takes us back in the story all the way back to chapter one. If you remember in the story, so the, 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 the Bible, the story of the Bible begins with, it's all God. And then it is all good. Everything that he creates is good But you'll remember that right away, and we see this in the Bible, that we break everything, that everything broke. Our rebellion broke this relationship that we were created to have. You were created to be in a relationship with God. But even though we broke that relationship, we see what happens when sin comes. Is that in this, uh, we remember in Genesis and, and chapter 3, that when sin comes and that breaking comes, we run, we hide, we feel shame. And the way that that shame is covered, you remember uh, what, what he had to do is he had to take a lamb. Or he took an animal and he had to take that animal and that animal died and he took the skin from that. I remember this is the first time that they've seen death. And we're seeing right away that when sin comes, that an innocent third party must give of itself, give its life so that sin can be covered for us, so our shame can be covered. He takes the skin of those animals to cover their shame as they feel the shame of their nakedness. And we're seeing right away what happens. As we go into the Exodus, we see this again. In fact, when we get to chapter 4, what we're seeing is, this is the second thing I want you to write down, because I think it's so important, that what we've seen from chapter 1, what we then see again in chapter 4, is that sin is serious and must be paid for. So remember, this is so the meal that they're about to celebrate. God's people are, are enslaved. The Egyptians are holding them. Moses asked, let my people go. He's refused. The plagues come. Nine of the plagues go through and his heart is hardened. So finally, here comes the, the 10th plague. As the 10th plague is going to come, it's going to cost the firstborn of every household. And so the Israelites are told, take a spotless lamb, find it, You'll kill it, you'll eat it, but you'll take the blood and you'll wipe it on the doorpost of your house. And when the angel of death comes, he will pass over your home. So imagine being dad and you got to take your son, you go out and you're looking in, in your herd and you're looking for a spotless lamb and there's Fluffy. And you see Fluffy and your son is thinking, no, dad, not Fluffy. And he's saying, son, it's Fluffy or it's you. Dad, I'll give you a hand. Where do you want me to take Fluffy? Okay. But again, what we're seeing is that sin is serious and it must be paid for. And so in this moment, we, we see this, 
all that God is doing. If then for, for years, for centuries, the priest would take and offer the sacrifice and the blood of the lamb would cover over the sins of the people. But then years later, as we uh, were seen in the story, is that the prophet Isaiah came and said that there would be one who would come. He would be our lamb. Isaiah writes this in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah pointed that someday someone will come. And the people thought, who, how, how will this work? But remember as we got to the story when Jesus arrives on the scene that John the Baptist sees him. And he says, look everyone, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus has come to be this Lamb who would take away the sin of the world And over the years, as thousands of lambs were sacrificed, they were ultimately pointing to the one, the Lamb of God, who would become our sacrifice and take our sin upon himself. And so here we are. It's it's so Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. It's Selection Sunday. And they're picking that lamb. And at the same time, they don't realize, here comes the true Lamb of God. And out of his deep, deep love... He will serve our deepest need. So let's go back to Thursday. Let's go back to the meal. So they're remembering this Passover meal. And each part of the meal remembers part of that journey. But then Jesus takes that meal and he twists it. And in fact, in a few minutes, we're going to share in this meal as as he changed it. And if you want to turn to Matthew 26, you can see these words or you can follow along here on the screen. But watch as Jesus takes in this moment, in this meal, he wants to shift their attention to something else. And so in chapter 26, verse 26, uh, page 996 on the Bibles in front of you, it says this, that while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said to, uh, gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so for hundreds of years, this Passover meal has been celebrated. The, the lamb that was, was prepared, they remember that the lamb was slayed, that the blood was spilled, that the sins were forgiven, that the people were saved. But from now on, he's helping them see that from now on, my body will be broken and my blood will be shed. And that is what will save you. And that's what will forgive you. And that's how your relationship with God will be restored. See, sin is serious and it must be paid for. And Jesus is about to pay the ultimate price. They don't quite understand. Think of this. They don't quite understand what's about to happen. 
But in this meal, he's given them something. I want you to take this bread and eat it and remember me because I want you to remember that I am going to break my body for your sake. I want you to take this cup and I want you to share it and I want you to pass it and I want you to drink it and I want you to remember that this cup represents my blood shed for you so that your sins can be forgiven. When you take it and when you drink it, remember what I've done for you. Now, as the night unfolds, I'm going to move a little quickly and I I just want to just say this. Um, Friday, you can come. There's a good Friday experience and and you can move at your own pace so you can kind of go through this a little deeper. Um, As I move quickly, I'm going to point out some things that we could spend a whole sermon on each one of these things. But what I want for our sake today, I just want you to notice a pattern here. I want you to see a pattern of what we've already been seeing. But the night continues to unfold. And as the the meal ends, they go out to this garden. And Jesus, the, the weight of what is about to happen is weighing on him significantly. And so Jesus asks them to, he takes a few of them and he says, ask them to come and pray. In fact, we know that Jesus is so overwhelmed by this moment of what is about to come that it says that his sweat became like drops of blood. I don't know if you've ever felt that kind of anguish, that kind of, that kind of, uh, of stress. But Jesus is feeling the weight of what he's about to experience. Not just the physical torture that he's about to go through, but the fact that The cup of God's wrath is about to be poured onto him. That he's about to take the punishment. That he, for the first time in all eternity, will will experience this separation. But notice what he says. says. It says that he went off a little further from his friends. He fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Is there any other way? Yet not as I will, but as you will. He's committed to serving the Father. He's committed to serving you. When they come to arrest him, as you saw in the video, that they come, they, they surround him. This, uh, Peter reaches out, he grabs a sword, he tries to cut off, uh, a guy, he cuts off a guy's ear. His name is Malchus, we actually learn in, in the book of John. Why do we know his name? Because you could have gone and asked Malchus, what was it like to have your ear cut off and then picked up and put back on your head? Why they continue to ar- arrest him after you saw that happen, I, I don't know. But they did. But in that moment, Jesus tells them to stop and listen to his words. He says, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? And Jesus is making something very clear. No one is taking my life. I am laying it down. They take him to the Sanhedrin. They, they have a, a, a false trial, a, an illegal trial. They have false witnesses making all kinds of accusations. They yell at him. They spit on him. They punch him. They do all kinds of horrible things in that time. And he's silent. And he's quiet. Think back. To, so Isaiah, hundreds of years before, the, the prophecy of Isaiah says this, that he was oppressed And he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. He's quiet. And he takes all this abuse, even though he can stop any of it. They take him before Pilate, uh, the governor, the Roman governor. 
They don't want to do the dirty work. They want him to do it. And once again, Jesus is silent as all the accusations come. Pilate's trying to figure out, is there a way around this? And Pilate says these things. You do not speak to me. You do not know that I have authority to release you. I have authority to crucify you. Now Jesus speaks. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Now, each one of these moments, we see something being illustrated that there's a pattern here that at any time, if Jesus wants this to stop, he can make it stop. But he has chosen to serve you. He has chosen to serve his father. And he is going all the way. Even though he has absolute authority, all power, he is laying it down to serve us. And as much as Pilate wants to release him, the crowds have turned. They threaten his existence. And so Pilate has him crucified. They have him flogged. They have, he decides this. Now, something very interesting is about to happen. So he condemns him to die on a cross. Now, uh, every day at 9 o'clock in the morning and 3 o'clock in the afternoon, a sacrifice was made. The sacrifice for the daily sacrifice for the for the forgiveness of their sins was made. And so Jesus condemned to die. He takes his cross. He begins to go out to the to the, the hill. And as he goes out, Mark says this as they take him, his body already beaten, as they nail him to that cross, as they lift that cross and drop it into that hole, Mark says this. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. As the morning sacrifice is being offered, Jesus is dropped into the hole and he begins to hang. And so while people are are mindful of a sacrifice that has taken place within the temple, outside the walls, the real sacrifice is being given. At noon, it says, the scripture says that it got it got uncomfortably dark. It got dark, and, and you can imagine just the way that the darkness created. Uh, an awkwardness for two million people. The scriptures say this, that from noon until three in the afternoon, that darkness came over all the land. And then about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all eternity, the father has to turn his face from his son as, the, as Jesus takes on the sinfulness of the world, as he takes on the punishment of the world. And in this moment at 3 p.m., when the Passover lamb is being offered, something would happen. Uh, this is called a shofar, and this is kind of a small touristy one, but they had a, a bigger one. But this, this horn, it was, it was blown for all kinds of different uh, uh, notable celebrations. But at three o'clock, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, you would hear this uh, sound. And so they would use, and what, what people would do is when they heard that, they would stop what they were doing, and they would be thankful, and they would be mindful that sin costs And that a sacrifice was being made on their behalf. But at three o'clock in the afternoon, we're told this, that Jesus 
said these words, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And at that moment, as Jesus is saying those things, as inside the temple, the sacrifice is being made, as Jesus has given up his spirit, you hear this sound. An unblemished lamb is given its life, its innocent life, for the sake of a sinful third party. When Jesus cries out, it is finished, it is a, it's a fascinating uh, word it, it, uh, that is used. It, it, it's an accounting term. It means paid in full. And so when Jesus is saying that when he cries this out, it, it was a, they would use this word. They would, they would kind of stamp it on something. So if you owed a debt, if you paid off your debt, it would be stamped, paid in full. If you owed a, 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 a sentence, a prison sentence, or any kind of thing, any kind of indebtedness, and you paid that off, if you owed any kind of ransom, and you paid that, your ransom was paid, it would be stamped, paid in full. As Jesus takes his last breath, he exclaims that it has been paid in full. Your debt, my debt, has been paid in full. And as the people are still and quiet as they hear the shofar below, they have no idea what is actually happening. Not inside the temple, but outside on that hill. Friends, Christianity is the only religion, it's the only one that says that our standing with God is not based on anything we do, it is based entirely on what someone has done for us. There is nothing like the grace of God anywhere else in the world. And this week we are drawn into how amazing it is that the one who was given all power and all authority would lay it all down so that you and I could be in a relationship with him forever. We've been seeing from the very beginning that the story of the Bible is that you were created to be in a relationship with God. And even when we destroy it from the very beginning, that God is working always to restore and to rebuild and to reclaim that relationship. And we see it in its most dramatic moment in the cross that God himself would pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. And so as we come into this, this moment, it's important that you understand something, that, that this is something, this is kind of the big idea of, of chapter 26, is that when you let Jesus serve you, your sin is paid in full. He has come to serve you. He has laid down his life. But this is something we need to receive. And when you receive that, that grace, when you receive that payment, your sin is paid in full. There's nothing more you can do. And so let me ask you this question. Have you let Jesus serve you? Have you let Jesus serve you? Can you point, can you point even to a time, and not everyone can do this. Some of us, we kind of we uh, uh, gently glide into a life with God. We, just don't, we can't point to when it began or when. We don't know. Others of us can point to a very dramatic moment where things changed. Can you decide, has there, has there been a moment where your debt was paid in full? 
where you didn't have to fear whether or not you would be responsible for the debt of your sin, I, I want to invite you to a moment. And just, in just a minute, we're going to share in communion together this, this, uh, what Jesus created. And if you, don't, you have not allowed him to pay for your debt, I want to invite you to that in just a moment. You have to let Jesus serve you. And I know like Peter, some of us are thinking, I, 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 want, I can't do it. I can't let you do it. I got to do it myself. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash you, if you don't let me serve you, you cannot come with me. This morning, have you let Jesus serve you? But here's the second thing I want you to just consider as we think about responding to this morning. Will you serve like Jesus? Will you serve like Jesus? Now, when Jesus washed their feet, he said these words. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes. He returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, no messenger greater than one who sent him. And then don't miss this, this line. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If you do them. So how do you serve the spouse that has grown cold and unresponsive to you? How do you serve the boss who just seems to want to lord it over you and remind you who's in charge? Who seems to want to make your life miserable each and every day? How do you serve the the coach who seems to only find what's wrong with your kid? How do you serve someone like that? The same way Jesus did. The same way Jesus did when the one who would betray him was sitting there, he knelt down, he took a towel around his waist, and he began to wash his feet. The same way Jesus did when the one who would deny knowing him, that he even knew him, who would cuss at the people who were claiming they were related, you serve the same way Jesus did when he stood at Peter's feet and washed him. You serve those people the same way Jesus did to all his disciples who would run from him, who would, who, who would say that they didn't even want to be associated with him. You serve in the same way he did. This week, I want to encourage you to practice this servant heart of Jesus. It will draw you into the cross. It will draw you into his, his sacrifice. As Gabe said, maybe there's a way with your 8 to 15. I, I would just tell you, as you look inside your bulletin, there's a lot of things happening at Beach Point. Maybe you invite a mom tomorrow night to mom's group. Maybe you buy some extra angel tickets. And invite some friends or coworkers or some other people to come with you. Maybe it's Saturday night, you bring friends to Easter. And you may think, ah, I just kind of want to do Easter for myself. I just want to enjoy it. It's a lot of hassle if I have to bring someone. Is there a way in which you can serve this week? So I want to make you mindful of the way that Jesus served you. So in just a moment, the ushers will come. They're going to serve you a tray. Inside the tray, make sure you grab both cups. There's the bread and the, and the cup. Remember what Jesus said. He said, this bread is broken. This is my body, broken for you. Take and eat and remember me. 
He said about this cup, this cup represents this new agreement, this new covenant, this new contract between you and God. Take and drink. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. My blood shed for you. And so as you're ready, eat and drink and remember him. And let me simply say this to those of you here today, you've never let him pay for your sin. You've never let him serve you. You've never let him, uh, 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 maybe you've just never responded to his invitation where he says, I love you. Would you come with me? We were made, I made you to do life with me. Would you come with me? Would you follow me? And if you've never made that commitment, can I invite you to do this? When the tray comes, Grab two cups, grab their double cup, grab them. There's a little cup holder in front of you. This morning, if you're ready to say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to let you wash me. I want to let you serve me. I want to receive your grace. I want to follow you. I don't quite know what I'm getting myself into, but I trust you as much as I know how. If that's your hope and that's your prayer, then I want to encourage you at that point, take the bread, take the cup, the bread is just a, it's a little symbol. We remember his body. We take the cup. We remember his, his bloodshed. And as your first act of faith, take those, those elements and join with us. Join me as we pray. Lord, as we enjoy these, uh, this moment with you, may we be reminded of your amazing grace the way that you have called to us or you've reached to us, you have served us in a way that is so far beyond what we really understand. We, we, we know it, but we don't always really know it. But would you make it more real to us in this time? Help us as we try to uh, remember you and all that you've done to serve us. Thank you for laying down your body, your blood, for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could have life with you now and forever. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.